Connect Southbridge. Glad that you're here today. Life change. That is our mission statement. Connecting people to Jesus Christ for life change. Every once in a while, people get confused about what we mean when we say life change. Some people think it just means trusting Christ as your Savior and becoming a Christian, and we mean that. We mean when people are without hope and without God, they become reconciled to the God who created them, loves them, and wants to have a relationship with them. Of course it means that. But that's the beginning. It also means uh, people taking new steps of obedience. You look at the Great Commission, it's teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And so you look at uh, different steps of obedience, different new steps of faith, as God calls us, and small steps and in great steps, whether we trust Him uh, with something that we never trusted Him with before, maybe our daily schedule, or we trust Him uh, with our entire lives to, to surrender some new aspect to Him. That's, that's life change. And so we celebrate that, and we're excited about that. This Sunday is what we call a State of the Church Sunday. Some churches will call it a Vision Sunday. Uh, for us, what it is is a time where we look at the things that God's done over the past 12 months, and we celebrate those things and look at what God's doing in our church, and also look towards the, the next 12 months of what we believe God's going to do, what we believe His desires are for us. And so we project some of those things out, dream about some of those things, and then ask God to, to show up and do beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And say to the church, one of the things we do is we give you an annual report. You'll receive this, uh, a little booklet when you leave today. It says annual report, and you'll flip through some of these things, and there's different graphics in there and different numbers. There's lots of numbers in here. You'll see that the first page says 160 people profess faith in Jesus Christ this year, baptism numbers and attendance numbers, and uh, 364 people and participated in one of our value-based small groups this year, and you'll see budget stuff and stuff about the campaign and different things along those lines. Uh, but I want to challenge you as you look at these numbers to realize each one of those numbers represents a person. And so don't just see numbers. You can go through these kind of cold stats and flip through, and you can read it really fast, actually. But I hope that you use this as a worship document. As you see, you know, 160 people profess Christ or 364 people in small groups, that some of those people are the people you just saw in the video. Uh, and people you might be sitting next to today. It might be you. Uh, maybe a father or dad and mom, sister or cousin, you know, whoever, sibling, child, coworker, friend. Uh, the, each one of those numbers re- represents a life that was transformed by Jesus Christ. And so we want to celebrate that. I hope that today um, you'll be encouraged and and blessed and maybe even challenged uh, with God's vision for our church, and not only for our church, but for you individually and for every believer in Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about today for the State of the Church uh, address, this vision talk, whatever you'd like to to call it. And uh, we're going to open up God's Word together. Would you pray with me before we do that? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that we get to gather together to celebrate you, to celebrate your goodness, to celebrate your mercy, your grace, your kindness, that, uh, that we're unworthy vessels to be able to come and even sing your name, much less to be talking to you right now, <laughs> that you're listening, uh, that you care. Uh, we should fall down and have no words, uh, but you're so gracious, you let us talk to you, and we thank you for that. And uh, I'm sorry for when I fail. I'm sorry that I'm not even a worthy vessel to carry your message that you've given today, but will you use it? Will you do something through it? Will you challenge our hearts? Will you transform our city? Will you impact our country? Will you impact this world for your glory? Uh, Through all the believers gathered in all the different places, some in private. I pray for the believers in Syria that are being persecuted. I I pray for those in China that are underground. I pray for those in Latin America that are meeting in a facility that looks nothing like this. And I I pray, God, that you would be worshipped through all the things that are said, all the things that are done, that your glory would go forth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, whenever we do uh, vision talk of any sort, with the state of the church or any other, um, I always get a little reminiscent and start thinking through the significant vision talks that we've had as a church in the past. And I think through when we first were, were getting together with people in this city, we were brand new to the city. I didn't even know how to say y'all at that moment. Um, we were meeting people, and we started dreaming about a church. 
And uh, the dream that we really set was based on the scriptures, and we said we dreamed of a church that really looked like the book of Acts in the context of Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, and people liked that, and so they kept coming together, and and I remember with that group of people studying the Bible and going uh, through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, if you read in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark is the second gospel, and we were looking at Jesus and how Jesus interacts with different people, And, and we said we want to interact with people the way that Jesus did, and he doesn't interact with everybody the same way. And so we look at how Jesus interacted with hurting and helpless people, and we say, we want to be like that. Do you see how his heart went out to them? It's like he was feeling their pain. But then you see him come into contact with religious people, and they're very religious, and they know the Bible, but they don't get Jesus. And he interacts with them differently. And we said, that's how we want to be with people when they come to our church. We want to interact with them differently. And some people will be direct, and it will be forceful, and some people will be very slow, very kind. And then there are people that have tangible needs. We want to reach out. We want to express uh, a tangible expression for the sake of the gospel because we see Jesus doing that, meeting physical, tangible needs with the people that he came into contact with. And really what we were doing is we were dreaming of the kind of church that we desire to be. And that was when we didn't, you didn't even have 100 people. You know, I'm talking like 50 or 60 people gathered together and we're talking about these things and just dreaming of what could be. And that takes some imagination because it, it, it wasn't there yet. And if you think about a vision, it always requires some imagination. It's like with, I have a daughter whose birthday is today. It's our, our third daughter. She's turning four years old. And so this week I've been asking her repeatedly, and I get different answers every time. I say, Janie, what would be the best birthday for you? I just want you to dream it up. No restrictions, no financial restrictions, no location restrictions, no food restrictions. And she's like, I want sausage for breakfast and cake. I say, cake for breakfast? No, Dad, we can't have cake for breakfast. Pancakes, you know, pancakes for breakfast. And then uh, she talked about where she wants to go. She talked about Hawaii one time. She talked about marbles another time. <laughs> um, I didn't tell her you could do these things. I didn't say we were going to do this. I, just, I want to teach her to dream. I want her to dream about these things. And so I ask you, if you were four and you were going to dream up the perfect birthday, what would it have been like for you? Jed you sausage for breakfast? Maybe you'd have cake for breakfast. I don't know. Would you, would you, who would be there? And what would you do? What would happen? Where would you go? And maybe a better question is, what about a vision for your life now? What, if, what about today? What would make the best, the most perfect day for you today? Whatever you can imagine. Just dream, like no limits. Just for a second, dream about that. Or maybe in the future. It doesn't have to just be today. Just think in your future. What would be the ideal future for you that you could dream up? Or for our church? What would be, what would be the best thing that could possibly happen to our church today? Or in the days ahead? And you know the crazy thing is? No matter what you dream up right now, God's got a bigger imagination than that. And God's got a bigger vision than anything that we could ever come up with on our own. In fact, as a church, if we had a theme verse, it'd be Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more. Okay, think about that. Beyond what you can measure more. Immeasurably more than you could ever ask or dream up in your wildest imagination. But then look at the next part. According to his power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's at work within you and me. And so he wants to do it through you and through me. Think what is the theme verse. That's the verse that I preached when we launched the church. March 4th, 2007. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's not one thing he can't do. He can do immeasurably more than anything that we could ever think up. But look at the next verse, verse 21. To him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, this is true. That's what amen means. This is true. Amen. And so it's this God that has a vision, not just for Southbridge, not just for you, but for all of his people and for every church. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, is that God's vision for his people. 
If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Acts. We're picking up where we left off last week. In Acts chapter 13, we're going to start reading in verse 26. We're jumping into the middle of a sermon here. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know in Acts chapter 13, it started uh, back at the beginning when Paul and Barnabas, Paul's the guy who's going to become the prominent figure in the book of Acts from now on. And his teammate is a guy named Barnabas, and they're going out on the first ever short-term missions trip. There's a commissioning service for them. And you may remember, if you were here that Sunday, we commissioned our entire church. We talked about the same difference. Everybody's on the same mission. It looks different for everybody, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a scientist, a stockbroker, real estate, workers in janitorial, retail. It's the same mission. It just looks different for everybody. We commissioned the whole church, symbolically laying hands on us and sending us out into our worlds to reach our worlds for Christ. And that's what happened for Paul and Barnabas. And then they go, they, first they go to Cyprus, which is Barnabas' hometown. Then after they preach the gospel there, they go to, as Pastor Jason started to preach last week, they go to uh, Asia Minor, which is Paul's hometown. Remember how much Paul loves these people? He says he'd lose his own salvation if they would come to Christ. He'd give his own salvation for that. I don't know if there's anybody, maybe my kids, that I would do that for. He loves these people so much, and he begins to preach this message. And the first part of the message started in verse 16 last week and went through verse 25. was about the history of God's redemption. In verse 26, we pick it up with what's happening right now and what God's going to do in the future. And so look at the second point right here. He started in verse 16 with standing up, Paul motioned with his hand, men of Israel, you Gentiles. And then he gets to the second point, verse 26. Look at verse 26. Brothers, he's drawing them in again. Children of Abraham, you God-fearing Gentiles, people that I love. Listen, 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 this is important. Point number two. It's to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that, that are read every Sabbath, that they read every Sabbath. They didn't even realize what God was doing. They were living it out, and it's the very thing they read about all the time. It's mind-boggling. Verse 28. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the, the tree and they laid him in a tomb. But God... Key phrase, wherever you see it in Scripture. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They're now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as is written in the second psalm. And he quotes one of the psalms. This is in your book, Jewish listeners. You're my son. Today I've become your father. And then he comments. The fact that God raised him from the dead never to decay is stated in these words. And he quotes the Psalms, he quotes Isaiah. He says, I will give you the Holy One, the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. The resurrection mentioned in the Old Testament. And then he comments on it. Verse 36, he's saying how the Psalms couldn't have been about David. He says, for when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his father and his body decayed. No one disputed that. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. And he already said, and if you don't believe it, you can go ask witnesses. He's preaching this about 15 years after it happened. And then he gets to the climax of the sermon. Here's the third point. It's the application, verse 38. Therefore, my brothers, draws them in again, therefore, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by obeying the law of Moses. Verse 40, here's a warning. Take care of what happened to the prophets, or take care of what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. 
So here you've got this passage of scripture where he says, look, they're reading this stuff in the synagogue every week and they don't believe it. They don't know, realize it's going to happen. And, and, and he gives this judgment at the end. Uh, don't be like the, uh, the, people, the prophets warn these people, you scoffers and you mockers, that I'm doing something. My vision is so amazing, so much bigger than anything you could imagine, that even if I clearly told you, you still wouldn't get it. Even if you were living in it, you wouldn't see it. That's how big God's vision is. And what he summarizes here is God's vision for his people. That's what we're talking about today. God's vision for his people. And you think about God's vision, a vision of redemption that he thought out before the creation of the world and then it would be carried out by the local church. What we're reading about, the context here of Acts, is a local church, a church in Antioch, church in Jerusalem. You see the church getting started in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. They didn't have a category for the church, much less the way these people would live with one another, share with one another, care for one another, and demonstrate the gospel to a watching world. God's vision was too big. They couldn't fathom it. They couldn't dream it up. They couldn't imagine it. But it's God's vision for his people. And that's really our main point today. That's what we're talking about. As you think about vision, there have been some great visions throughout history, haven't there? Just even American history. I mean, we're here in North Carolina, so you have to mention the Wright brothers. First in flight. I know it's debated, but it says it on our license plates, so let's go with that. First in flight. We win. We got it on our plates, okay? So there it is. But they, they started to research that in 1899. Okay, now none of us were around in 1899. Let's put this in context, though, for those of you who know some history. Did you know the automobile didn't become popular until 1906 when Ford made it affordable by making the Model T? Over 50% of people who had an automobile had a Model T at the time. I bet you they wish I could get that stock, you know, grasp uh, again. 1906, they started researching in 1899. They say that the birth of the automobile was in 1886. That's when the idea, that's when it kind of started happening, when people started to know about it. It didn't become popular until 1906. So the Wright brothers are dreaming up a craft that can fly in the air when most people are not even familiar with an automobile. That's quite a dream. That's quite a vision. That's quite an imagination. Or what about JFK? JFK cast a vision for our country that we're going to put a man on the moon. And the country rallies around around this one thing that we're all, that's a goal that we're all going towards. That we'd have a guy that would walk in space. We want to beat the Russians, you know, and get, get up there and have technology. Uh, to put that in perspective, the TV was new. Uh, the color TV was just coming out. That's not HDTV like we're carrying around in our pocket, okay? <laughs> Let's put this in perspective. Uh, that's not, they just were coming out with a remote control around that time, by the way, too. And they had like two channels. <laughs> you think we're lazy. At least we have a thousand channels to deal with. Like two channels, flick back, forth, back, forth. <laughs> None of them come in because we're watching a radio with pictures on it, okay? I don't know if you've seen TVs from that time period, but, but that's the technology, and he's talking about putting a man in space. That's quite a vision. In my opinion, the greatest visionary in American history, my opinion, is Martin Luther King Jr. In 1963, gives that speech, the I Have a Dream speech. And I have a dream. And think about what he dreamt about, for those of you who are familiar with that speech. He says in that speech, I have a dream that one day my four children, so in their lives, not his, his would end soon. And it was almost when you listen to his speeches like he knew that. He says, I have a dream that one day my four children will be judged, not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now, put that into context. That was when black people and white people couldn't drink out of the same drinking fountain. That's quite a dream. That's quite an imagination. But all of those incredible visions have nothing on God. Because let's put that in context. God created it all. He created everything. Anything you see that's amazing, God made that. And so whether you've been to the Grand Canyon 
whether you see an iceberg, whether it's a waterfall or a, you know, a volcano erupting, or you see the most, I'm not even talking about where you've been, just think about the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. You know, hot springs in the ground that are like God-made hot tubs. If you, if you just go Google stuff, it's the most beautiful places in the world. And see that God made all that stuff. He created all that. And you think about his creatures. I was reading this week about different creatures he made. I don't like mice, but mice he made. And you know about how big a mouse is. You know, he's made mice that can actually go through a hole the size of a ballpoint pen. It's pretty amazing. Do you know the tarantulas have skeletons on the outside of their body? Isn't that kind of crazy? So if you ever run into a tarantula, knock it on, the ba- on its back. It'll break its bones. See, isn't that cool? I taught my kids that this week. We were messing with spiders on the backyard. I didn't see any tarantulas, thank the Lord. But uh, there was, I read about a beetle that if its predator attacks, it's just a small little bug. It shoots boiling hot liquid from its abdomen. I read that and I thought, that's just cool. <laughs> God, you're cool for making that bug that can do that. And so you watch, they, if you go on YouTube, you can see lizards coming towards it and they're huge and it's like a dragon. It just, it's awesome. At any rate. God made all that stuff. But here's the one that grabbed my attention. I was reading an article by John Piper. John Piper talks about rain, which seems like a simple thing. And we've had a lot of it this year, right? And he talks about the wonder of rain. It's not a wonder to most of us, but think about it. And what he says is, imagine you're a farmer in the Near East, and uh, there's no lakes or streams by you, and the closest water is hundreds of miles away, and you've got crops, and they need water. Where does water come from? The sky. Oh, that seems simple to us, but think about the process. And in his article, he breaks down the science of it, and the weight, and the numbers, the distance. And what he says is, he said, first, God's got to take a cloud, bring, put it over the ocean, pick up that water. So before it can come down, it's got to go up. And so it changes form. It evaporates, comes into the sky, then has to be light enough to be carried for several hundred miles and then become heavy enough again to drop, but not so heavy that it just drops down on, it'll ruin everything, but heavy enough that it would fall and not evaporate and provide for the crops. But wait a minute, it was salt water. Yeah, he takes the salt out of the water and then drops the water down. Amazing. Creative. Talk about an imagination. The God who had the imagination to do that has a vision for your life before he ever created rain. He talks about it in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, he says this, Praise be to our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, For he chose us in him before he created rain, or beetles, or any other place you can imagine before the creation of the world. And he chose us to be holy and blameless. But wait, we're not holy and blameless. He chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight out of his love for us in love. And verse 5, how does this happen? For he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, in accordance with it was his desire, his pleasure, his will, his longing for you. That's his vision for you, is that you be in fellowship with him, in relationship with him, and that you spread that through the world, that people would know how it is they can be adopted into this family, to be holy and blameless, even though we're not holy and blameless, even though we all have this sin problem, that he bring us into relationship with him before the creation of the world, to be adopted as his sons and his daughters, to have every spiritual blessing. That's his vision for you, and that's what Paul's talking about in this passage. And it says in verse 26, Brothers, children of Abraham, you God-fearing Gentiles, listen, people that I love, Listen up, is what he's saying. Jews, you who are, this is very, very important. It'd be like the uh, president or politician saying, friends and fellow Americans. Or if I'd said, listen, Southbridge, church, brothers, sisters, people that I love, listen. What I'm about to say is really important. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, brothers, people that he'd give his own salvation for, 
children of Abraham, my fellow Jews, God-fearing Gentiles, it's people that believe the same thing as the Jews, but they're Greek. He says, it's to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers, now notice that's important, it's the rulers, did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath on a weekly basis. And though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And so, this is kind of mind-boggling, what, what is said in this passage. He says, the rulers, now let me remind you who the rulers are. The rulers are the scribes, the Pharisees, the quote-unquote experts in the law, the people who teach the scriptures. These are people, scribes. They're people that take a manuscript of the Bible, write down this word, go to this manuscript, write down the exact same word. This word, that word. They're familiar with the Bible. These are guys who, who memorize large portions of Scripture. Every day, they're, every day they're quoting Scripture. And they wake up, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. They're reading from the law. They're reading from the prophets. And then when they see the guy they're reading about, they don't even recognize it. When Pilate, for the sixth time, says, I find no charge for this man. They don't scratch their head and go, maybe this is the guy we've been reading about for, oh, I don't know, hundreds of years. It doesn't click in their head, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. Think of it, you knowing the story of the crucifixion, would this like ring a bell? But he was pierced for our transgressions because he didn't have any. Pilate says, I find no charge with this man. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was brought on him brings us peace. And Paul tells us here, these guys didn't even realize while they were doing it who this was. And, and I look at it and I think, well, maybe it's because as a church, we talk about this every week. I mean, we talk about the cross, about the resurrection every week. We're, we, 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 would be, we would think to ourselves, of course, if something like this was happening, we would recognize it. But try and put yourself in their situation. This has never happened before. Crucifixions prophesied in the Old Testament. It wasn't Jewish. The Jews didn't even crucify people. It was a form of execution that when it was written down, didn't even happen. And they talk about putting them in a tomb in this passage of scripture. Criminals uh, that were crucified on crosses, they weren't put in tombs. They were put in mass graves. And so the Old Testament prophesied to the minute details of everything that would take place there. And they still missed it. Well, they had never seen anything like this. And we think of, I've got a friend who uh, pastors a church in Dubai. Went there and planted a church, a very international church. And he was sharing one time with, uh, with, uh, with another group of people. My wife and I were in the audience. And he was telling the story about how one Sunday he preached the gospel uh, to, the, to a group of people. So he's talking about the death of Jesus Christ, the burial of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how Jesus died for our sins, that he was the God-man who died for us. And he said, and there's like secret service there, and there's all kinds of, you don't know who's who in, in the audience. There's always a different group, a different crowd that comes every Sunday. And there's this one woman from Japan who came, had never heard the gospel before, never heard that Jesus died for her sins and rose again. After he's done preaching, you know, closed up his Bible, he's walking away. The woman gets up and walks up to his wife and says, so your husband was saying that Jesus is God's son. Yes. And that he died and that he rose from the dead. Yep. And it would be an awesome story to say that she converted right there. But what she said was, that's a lot to take in. <laughs> you think? <laughs> no kidding. See, sometimes we just read over it. It's like, yeah, of course. That's a lot. Be a little gracious with these guys. It's a lot to take in, but they're studying this stuff every week. They're reading about it. They're talking about it. And they miss it right when it happens. It's because it's such an amazing vision. We would never dream up something like this. We'd never dream up 
God giving his own son so that we could have a relationship with him, that he'd even want relationship with us. We dream up religion. We dream up with, as long as I'm not as bad as this person, we dream up with our works, we dream up with something that we can obtain, something we can do. We would never imagine something like this. Try to imagine it like this. Last year we shared a vision, our 10-year vision for the church called 10X. And what it was, we want to multiply our impact as a church. And we said, everybody who bought, everybody who, this is your church, you buy in, you're a member of our church, you serve here, you give here, and you're willing to lay your life down here. Everybody who's in, we want you to impact 10 people over the next 10 years. So start praying about that. Everybody pick one. And uh, praise the Lord. And we did our renewable church membership this past year. That people did a survey. And 96% of our members say they have at least one person. So some have more. Had somebody come up to me after the last service and said, you know what, God just keeps giving me more people to pray for that they would come to Christ. And we're praying for these people, sharing with these people, loving these people, trying to demonstrate Christ to these people. 96% of you are doing that. And so of the 96% of you that are doing that, I want you to hear right now, just imagine your person. Get their name in your mind or, or get a picture of their face in your mind right now. And, and, and for those of you who don't have a person, it's probably not hard to think up somebody that you hope God would get a hold of their life. And so just imagine that person for a moment. Maybe a neighbor, coworker, maybe it's your, one of your children. Uh, it could be you know, a friend, a sp- maybe a spouse. You know, people that's, some people that's their situation. Imagine God came to you and said that they would save that person. There's only one way. And it would cost you. But not money and not time. Imagine he said to you, what I want you to do is I want you to hand over your, one of your children, if you don't have any children, imagine, to a bloodthirsty mob. And they're going to mock him and beat him and eventually execute your child. And then I'll save that person. Would you do it? What a great salvation that's being presented to us, one that we would never dream up. That's what Paul's saying to these people here. And he's saying, listen, you read about this every week and you missed it. And I read that and I think to myself about us because we should, we should filter, the, filter our lives to the scriptures. I think, oh Lord, don't ever let us be the kind of people that, that miss what you're doing. You know, sometimes we get all tangled up and kind of wring our hands about God, I don't want to miss you in my circumstances, or I don't want to miss you in some mystical way you're trying to speak to me. Here's the deal. Let's not miss what he's clearly stated in the scriptures, what he desires to do and what he wants to do. I was talking to our our elders and our leadership team this week, and I was telling them we had an elder meeting on Wednesday. So, you know, this Sunday, State of the Church Sunday, and I just asked, what do you think that our church wants to hear or needs to hear from me this Sunday? And uh, several of them said, you know, well, they probably just, they want to hear your heart. They just want to hear, how do you feel about how things are going at our church? And if I'm candid with you, it's kind of mixed. It's a mixed feelings. I get excited uh, about some of the stuff that's happening in our church. I think about the life change. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, that's the why we do what we do. That's, the, that's why we're here. And I think about why, why did my wife and I, my wife and I didn't move here so that we could just have a bunch of people gather together at a movie theater and sing some songs and do some Bible lessons and kind of head out every Sunday. And we didn't want to build a building and, and just... We wanted to be a part of something bigger than us. That's why we moved here. We wanted to see God do stuff that only he could do that we couldn't explain happen. And so I get excited every time I hear about somebody who's without hope and without God. And they come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That pumps me up. If I hear about a, you know, a dad who decides to take ownership of his family, he's going to take responsibility for leading his family spiritually. If I hear about a mom or a woman that decides that she's going to get her identity, not in her appearance or in her kids or job or any of that stuff, but in her identity in Christ, that she realizes she's the daughter of the king. And, and I hear about that kind of stuff, that gets me pumped up. I was, uh, I was at breakfast with one of the guys on the leadership team a couple weeks ago. 
and we were talking. He's a gentleman. He's about 60 years old. And uh, we were chatting a little bit about his life, getting to know each other better. And he was talking about his dad. And I knew his story that he had come to Christ later in life. And so I said to him, is your dad a believer? And he just started to tear up. And he started to tell me the story of how he had led his dad to Christ three months ago. And he said that, I threw my arms up in the air. I did a touchdown symbol. Those of you who know me, you know that I'm a football fan. I get more excited about life change than I do about football, though. So I'm, I'm there at the, I'm at Bob Evans, 7 o'clock in the morning. He's crying. I got my arms up in the air. I'm like, yeah! Can you imagine being at a meeting at one of the other tables? This guy's crying. This guy's dude just scored a touchdown. Like, what's happening over there? He's telling me about this guy who is without hope and without God. He's 80 years old. He's about to step into eternity and trust Christ as his Savior. It's adopted into that family. It gets access to all those spiritual blessings. And he's crying. He's excited about it. That gets me excited. I hear stories of other things that God's doing in people's lives. We had, uh, you know, the campaign last year. We raised money to try and build a building. And, you know, a lot of the financial stuff individually is private. And so we didn't share all these stories. And I asked one person if I could share their story. And a single young lady in our church. And uh, she wrote me right at the time that we were uh, having our commitment Sunday. And, and she said what her commitment was and how she had come to that place with the Lord and spiritual journey that it was. And she was giving at a level she had never given before. And didn't know how it was going to happen. And then as soon as she made the commitment, she got a raise at work. And it covered the commitment that she made. And I heard that. And, and to me, it's just it's a demonstration of God's... We can't manipulate that. You know, it's not like we had, you know, I didn't call up the office where her work and say, hey, she just committed this much, and we're going to give it to your thing. Could you give her a raise? I didn't do that, I promise. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, hey, that'd be a good idea. No, no. God did that. God does that stuff. And it's stuff that only he can do. You can, I wouldn't even thought to do that, by the way, at the time. But God's at work. And so that gets me excited. I hear about people not only come to Christ, but, you know, we had one, one person email me this year. And they had gone into the, the vision, the 10X vision. They had more than one person that they were praying for and caring for and sharing with. And they were kind of updating me in the process. And they were praying for them and trying to demonstrate Christ to them, being a friend to them and loving them and, and trying, to, trying to share the gospel. Invited them to church. And then I got a, an email eventually. And it was, it was a funny email because it was in panic mode. But it was about one of the people coming to Christ. And so it was a celebration email. But at the same time, they, the person basically said this. Somebody I've been praying for. I told you about this person. Uh, they trusted Christ. But here's the problem. I've never had anyone I've shared with before actually respond. <laughs> I don't know what to do. And so, you know, the Great Commission says that we're to go make disciples. But the best thing you can do is make a disciple who makes more disciples. And so now you've got a person who is in a situation they're not only a disciple, but they need to help a new believer grow. And so it's a disciple-making disciple that's about to happen here. So exciting, obviously, about the person that trusted Christ. You get pumped up about that. But how exciting, too, that you've got a believer here who's never had anyone come to Christ before, and now they've got to figure out how to help that person grow in their faith. And so you've got life change happening in the very person who's sharing. So that's exciting. That gets me pumped up. And there's stuff that's frustrating, too. I mean, we think about the building. Um, that's bothersome to me. <laughs> I don't know what the right language is to say about it. You know, I get mad or frustrated probably you know, as much or more than some of you guys do. And you know, people are like, when's that going to happen? The bottom line is we don't have enough money. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the short of it. And so I talk to the Lord about it, and I think, you got a cattle on a thousand hill. I mean, you can just give us, you can just drop money. You can just have, it could be raining money, like a rap video. You know, make it rain, God. I'm praying. It doesn't work like that. So he's doing a process with us, and... We're not ready for that at this moment. So I am, <laughs> but he's saying we're not. We're not ready for that tool. 
And so I get mad, to be honest. I get frustrated. I talk to the Lord about it. Why don't you just give us a free building then? If we don't have enough money, just do it for free. You can do that too. And we'll talk through those things. And, and you know what? If we were just here to build a church, like if we were just supposed to build a building, fill it up with people, I don't want to quit because it's not happening. We're not building a building. And uh, we can't add services, and it's not just because of a building. I mean, you think of the frustration. Some of you are leadership. You know what it's like. People burn out from setup, and we just try to do a simple fellowship event. We can't even just get to hang out with each other because of some of the details of this, and, and then just to have money be the, the thing that's stopping it seems so frustrating. Uh, but you go back, and then God's at work, and God's changing lives. And so that's still exciting. So that keeps you going. That's the why. That's the fuel that keeps you going. And so not the circumstances that can be difficult or frustrating, but the, the, God, the fact that God's working in spite of that and through that, changing people's lives. Every once in a while we'll get somebody to come to church and they'll say, oh, you know, thank you, Father. They'll say things like that to me, by the way, out the door. They'll say, you know, it's the most comfortable seats, good talk. You know, you, you know, they're not church people. And they're coming because they came into a movie theater. Had somebody get baptized. The, Tim, the greeter, he's so friendly out there. Pulls somebody in the front door. Hey, you're here for church? They had bought a ticket to go to a movie. They didn't want to tell him. <laughs> they come to church. So, exciting. I mean, God, God doing what God wants to do. And so... Yeah, theater managers have been impacted. Different stuff God uses through that. And so, I don't know. He's doing beyond what we can imagine. How about that? And even in the building thing. I mean, we've got encouragement through that. We, got, we had our pledges last year. And you'll look, and you'll look at that little booklet afterwards. It'll have some numbers. We're tracking it over 100%, which is unheard of, by the way, for capital campaigns. That means people are giving more than they pledged. And some people that didn't pledge are giving money. So that's kind of cool that that's happening. Now, we don't have any idea how much it's going to total up to be. But, um, but it's cool that God's doing what he wants to do. And we had somebody call the church. Oh, I don't know how long ago it was. Not too long ago. I called one of the other leaders. I wasn't the one who took the call. And there, we, part of our plan for our building where we were building right now anyway is that we were going to have some modulars on it for children's space and multi-purpose space. And uh, well, $500,000 of our budget was towards that. And somebody called us. I don't even know how they heard about us. It's a church in Greensville that I've never heard of. And uh, they said that they wanted to donate to us for free 8,500 square feet of modulars. Now, listen, I don't even know if we can use them. Okay, We've got to send some people out there to look at them. How much is it going to cost to move them, all that stuff. Well, that could save us several hundred thousand dollars. That's pretty cool. So it's almost like God's doing these slow little, I got this. I might not be making it rain, but I'll do it in my timing. I'll work this out. God's in control. He's changing people's lives. See, he doesn't say anything in Scripture about a building. He does say that before the beginning of the world, he wanted to transform people's lives. And that's some of you, and that's people in the city that have never even heard about Jesus. How can you deny such a great salvation, Hebrews says this week. I had a person that I want to come to Christ so bad, and I just want to send them that verse and go, how can you deny such a great salvation? How can you deny this? That's what Paul's saying to these guys. Listen, listen, God's son died. Let that sink in for a moment. Like, who would have a dream of that? Who would ever, if you're going to ask or imagine something, who would ever dream of, God, would you kill your son so that I could have a relationship with you? No one's ever going to think of that. It says in verse 29, they put him in a tomb. The very... Minute details prophesied, most thrown in a mass grave, put Jesus in a rich man's tomb. He's dead, not unconscious, not in a coma, not having some weird out-of-body experience where he's watching the cross happen. He, he died. Verse 30 says this, But God, ultimate victory, but God raised him from the dead. And then he goes on in verse 31 and says, Listen, if you don't believe it, there's eyewitnesses. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us there's over 500 eyewitnesses. Paul's preaching this within 15 years of the crucifixion resurrection taking place. He's saying to them, listen, if you don't believe it, ask some of the people that were there. And because you're Jewish, I know you won't just take experience. So he goes on in verses 32 to 37, and he tells them, your book says it would happen. 
to the minute detail of what happened. And he tells them from the Psalms, he tells them from Isaiah, and then verse 38, he gets to the climax of the message. In verse 38, he says, therefore, my brothers, he's going back to what he said. In verse 16, my brothers, people I love. Verse 26, listen, I love you. Listen, this is important. In verse 38, most important part right here, there's a climax of the message. Listen, therefore, my brothers, you got God's vision. Here's the most important part. It's not just the vision, it's your response. And so the question for us is, what is our response to God's vision? What is the outworking of this vision? And, and that's what Paul gives us in verses 38 and 39. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Verse 38, forgiveness. Verse 39, through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by being a good little boy or girl. By just obeying everything that the Bible says. By doing everything your mom told you to do. By having good manners. By being a nice neighbor. You couldn't do it. So you're justified from all those things. And what Paul says here is the outworking of this is two things. Verse 38 is forgiveness. Verse 39 is justification. And there's a third thing. It's an implication of those two things. It's sanctification. It's becoming more and more like Jesus as a result of forgiveness and justification. And so what are those things? What is forgiveness? Paul almost operates under the assumption that everyone just knows they need to be forgiven. And so if you don't, think about that for a minute. If you don't think you need someone to deal with your sin, it's like a universal disease that we have, sin. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter what point in time in history. It doesn't matter uh, your race. It doesn't matter your dialect. It doesn't matter your education level. It's, we all have this issue that we have to figure out what are we going to do with our sin and the most naive thing we can do is just, oh, I just hope it all works out. Wait, it's stated so clearly all over society, all over creation, and all over the scriptures that something has to be done. Something's wrong. And if you doubt that, watch the news. But the scriptures clearly state it. And so it doesn't matter who you are, you've got this need. It's like uh, Jim Hendren, a friend of mine, was telling me, he tells me every once in a while about people that will lead to Christ. Some of you know Jim is a leader of Celebrate Recovery. He also leads an engaged group uh, that goes downtown uh, to Moore Square about once every five weeks, about every five weeks, every fifth Saturday, eight-ish. Yes, Scott, I'm not going to correct you right now. Thank you. Very gracious of you. Um, <clears throat> so every once in a while, no, <laughs> about once a month or so, once every two months, they go down to Moore Square and they feed homeless people. And he knows that I get excited when he tells me about leading people to Christ. And so it's between services. He's trying to give me this quick story. And he walks up and he starts telling me, you know, we went down Saturday to go to Moore Square. And usually there's about 50 people that show up. And there's only a handful of people. He said, at first we were kind of discouraged. He said, but there's this one guy that came up and he was a skinhead. And when Jim said that, I was thinking, oh, Jim, how do you know he's a skinhead? He's well, he had a shaved head, and he's a white guy with no shirt on. And I'm thinking, yeah, you're kind of profiling him here, Jim. And he said he had a tattoo on the side of his head that said skinhead. I was like, oh, okay. I was wrong. I'm sorry. You know, it's like, see how that works? It's like all of a sudden I was thinking, I need to help my friend not sin. I'm sinning. Oh, judging. And so he said he got skinhead written on the side of his head. He got a swastika tattooed on his forehead and some other stuff that I won't even say, some of the words that were tattooed on his body, but... Uh, he, Jim said, I made him a plate, handed him the plate, and walking over to the curb with him to talk to him. And he sits down next to an African-American gentleman. And he said, I'm thinking to myself, uh, that doesn't go well. <laughs> like, this is not going to be a good situation. And uh, Jim decides he's just going to start sharing his story. And so he starts telling this, these two guys, he starts telling them about how Jim was messing up his own life and how he needed forgiveness. And then one of the African-American gentlemen started talking about his drug problem and the uh, skinhead had no direction in his life, didn't even know why he was there, what he was doing. 
And Jim ends up telling him basically this passage. Telling him how Jesus Christ came and he died for our sins. Everybody's got a sin problem. And when he rose from the dead, he defeated him. He wants to offer you forgiveness and justification. He wants to change your life. If you want that, you have to receive him as your Savior. If you want to receive him as your Savior, stand up and we'll pray together. And the two guys stand up. They got tears in their eyes. Two tough guys standing there crying. And Jim said he put his arms around them. They're going to pray to receive Christ. And said so he looked up and he saw this black arm go around this white arm. What a picture of forgiveness. And it's for everyone. It's for every kind of person. And as I, I think about our church, I think about how we're such a place of, of people that need to come and get this forgiveness. This hurting people. If we have a niche as a church, if you have it all together, this is probably not a great church for you. I thank you for visiting today. I would love it for you to stay, but it just probably isn't going to work out. Just our history dictates that. that we're, kind of, we're like a church that's for hurting and, and, and helpless and hopeless people. Just, even when we started the church, when we started the church, I've told a lot of these stories, but um, we had people that would come to me when we had like 40, 50, 60 people. And they'd want to meet before they'd attend because they'd want to find out if they were going to mess it up. And so we had, I was emailing with a pastor. He's a pastor in another part of the country now. But at the time, he had a moral failure and had come to our church. But before he did that, he, he said, listen, here's my story. and Here's what I did. And I got kicked out of that church. I'm not allowed to go. I don't want to mess up your thing. God's doing something at this place, and I don't want to mess it up. But could I come? He came. He was just on our setup team for a little while, behind the scenes. and want everybody to see him. Now he's in another part of the country. I said, can I share some of your story? He said, oh, yeah. Southbridge was a place of healing for me. Because he needed to see forgiveness. I mean, we don't, what's he going to do? Just stop existing now? <laughs> he was repentant. He was turned to the Lord. And now God's using him. You got other, I remember thinking of another man that came to me. He doesn't go to our church anymore. And then wanted to tell me about his marital history and his wife's marital history and all the divorces and all that stuff. I said, well, I don't want to mess up what's happening there. I'm thinking, you are the mission. What are you talking about? <laughs> and tell you not to come? Why? So we can have like, just nice, clean Christians all hang out with each other? This is what it is. You see what happens when people realize that they're forgiven? Is that they love. The forgiven much people love much. Jesus talks about that in Luke chapter 7. It's a great story. You have to read it on your own. We don't have time to go through the whole thing. But what's happening is Jesus is having a meal at a religious guy's house. The religious guy's name is Simon. And uh, what happens, it's kind of weird. This woman comes into the meal and starts washing Jesus' feet while they're having the meal. That'd be weird to us now. It was weird to them then. Okay, there's your background for you. That was strange. And uh, she's washing his feet, and Simon's sitting there thinking to himself, uh, if Jesus knew what this woman was like, he wouldn't be letting her touch him. And Jesus says, Simon, there's two people that have a debt. One has a really big debt, one has a small debt, and both of them are forgiven. Which one's going to love more? And Simon says, as he knows he's caught, I suppose, which I think is one of the funniest responses in the Bible, I suppose, yeah, no kidding, answer the question, man. I suppose the one who was forgiven more. That's right, Jesus says. And then they open the door and there's a prize. No. Jesus says, uh, you're correct, Simon. And then he looks at the woman. And he says, your sins, which are many, have been forgiven. And then he goes on to talk about how those who are forgiven much, love much. And so the outworking of this forgiveness should be that we fall in love with him. But here's the great news. He doesn't just forgive us. Don't forget, there's still verse 39. Verse 39 says that he, he justifies us. Do you know what justification is? It means to be declared righteous. It's borrowed from the legal courts. You're made right. Let me point out something to you. You can forgive me. I can forgive you. You can't make me right, and I can't make you right. Only God can do that. If I steal your car today after church... Don't hand me the keys. No, I'm just kidding. If I steal your car today after church and uh, I take it home, maybe I start feeling guilty. 
around the time the 4 o'clock games come on, right? So I decided to come over to your house and say, here's your keys back. I'm so sorry. And you say, I forgive you, Pastor, for stealing my car. Wouldn't that be a funny conversation, by the way? I forgive you for stealing my car. And you're gracious to me. And you even say, I'll never hold it against you. I won't bring it up again. That's great. But you can't change that it happened. I'm still guilty. I still did it. See, God makes us right. He forgives us and he justifies us. He makes us right. He makes us not guilty anymore. That's how he sees us. As Ephesians chapter 1 says, holy and blameless before him. Do you know what happens? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. It's not that God just decides not to think about it anymore. It says that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. There's a transaction that takes place. He takes on our sin so that in him we might become righteous. He makes you righteous. And what should happen from that is the outworking, the third thing, so forgiveness, justification, and then the third thing, sanctification. What should happen from that is that we become so overwhelmed with the forgiveness he's given us and the, and the justification he's given us. He actually made us holy and blameless before him that we fall in love with him. And you think about any of you who have ever fallen in love before. Think about with my wife, Shanna. Remember when I first met Shanna? I couldn't think about anything but Shanna. And I would talk about Shanna, and it didn't matter what we were talking about. You can talk about, like, nuclear physics. Oh, by the way, Shanna and I were talking the other day. Not about that. So we're just wedging it into a conversation. Talk, I talked to her. We talked late on the phone. She'd write me little letters, and I'd read these letters. And I wouldn't just read it to get the content, like, hey, meet me this week for lunch. Or, no, I'm, I'm reading it. I'm like, what did, she, what did she mean when she said that phrase? And she puts a little circle above an eye, and I'm going, is that a heart? Ah, is that true love? You know, what's going on here? Why'd she underline that word? You know, that's, that's the way I'm reading that letter. Can you imagine, we talk about imagination. Can you imagine a group of people that are forgiven much, they've been made right with God, they become so overwhelmed with what he's done for them that we fall in love with God, and, and it changes what we talk about. And it changes that we talk to him alone and together. We talk to him. And when we read his love letter, you ever read the Bible and think to yourself, what were you thinking when you wrote that? Are you thinking about me? Because this seems to be written right to me. What, you, what were you thinking there? And can you imagine that God would actually have a dream, a vision, a plan? Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 is where you can find it, but that there would be people that would be so overwhelmed by this that they would gather together to talk about that love letter. They would pray together for each other. They would care for each other's needs. They would live relationship with one another in a way that's transformed where they'd take off their masks. Hey, I'm forgiven much. So are you. What are you going to think about me? <laughs> we all need God, so let's just move forward. And they live out life and be real with each other. And they love each other so well that a watching world would see it and they'd demonstrate the love of Christ to that watching world by having a heart that goes out to them. And within the body, and you read this in Acts 4, that people who had more would give so that people who had less had their needs met. And they'd be generous with the people in the community. And they'd realize their life wasn't their own, that they'd been bought with a price. And that's our dream as a church. And that's who we want to be. It's, we don't want to miss doing what he says so clearly right here. It's not just like, let's dream something, let's come up with some plan. No, it's, it's clear, it's right here. And that's what we want to see him do. And in the years, the days, the months ahead, we're going to do some stuff that Lord willing gives us an opportunity to be that kind of church. In a couple of weeks, September 22nd, we're going to have our first ever group expo. What's going to happen is when you come in here on Sunday morning in the lobby, we're going to have set up an opportunity for you to see all three of our different types of e-groups, our different value-based small groups in our church, encounter, embrace, and engage groups, and the ones that are open, whether it's a you know, engage group or embrace group or encounter group, uh, you're going to get to know what each one of those are. 
And you're going to have an opportunity to be in one of those. Well, here's the deal. It doesn't mean you have these kind of relationships. We totally understand that. That's on you. You've got to decide if you're going to be vulnerable. You've got to decide if you're going to commit the time. There's going to be some sacrifice. It's going to be difficult. It'll be messy. You won't like everybody you meet. Sorry. But when you look at what the church is supposed to be like, do you understand how unified we're supposed to be as a church? You look at the images that we get in the New Testament. He calls us a family. He calls us his flock. He's the shepherd. He calls us his bride. See, this isn't about like liking the same team or having a common cause. This is connected at the soul level. And we want to give you an opportunity for those kinds of relationships. We can't make them happen, but we can give opportunities. September 22nd, we're going to do that. And look at trying to demonstrate tangibly the love of Christ in our community in October. We're going to do what we call Southbridge Serves. And we're going to have service opportunities all over our city. We're going to try and dominate our city with the love of Christ. Whether it's handing out a bottle of water, praying with somebody, uh, going, whether it's going to a prison or whether it's going to a park. And we're going to have opportunities for you to demonstrate tangibly the love of Jesus Christ. And so that's in October and December. Um, we're going to do a thing we're calling that. We're going to do a series in December called The Compassionate Christmas. We're going to take a break from Acts. We're going to spend a few weeks just looking at the compassion that Jesus had for people and talk about a compassionate Christmas. And we're going to do Compassion Sunday, uh, the second Sunday in December. And for six years, we're a little bit over six years old as a church. I feel like we've done a great job, really, for the size church we are and who we are and uh, the different folks and talents and abilities we have of trying to reach this city for Christ. But we want to expand our vision and be even more global. We've got people now in Africa and Madagascar, Uganda and Panama and different places. But we want to target another country in the world uh, that we want to reach for Christ. And in partnership with Compassion International, our desire is to sponsor at least 100 children in Bolivia. And we want to broaden our vision globally as a church and go beyond just our city and go, what if we could impact actually a generation of people in a country, how different that country could be? As we try to bring them, yeah, there'll be food and water and education and all that stuff, but the gospel, because the gospel is what transforms. And so the second week of December, we're going to have a Sunday where as a church body, we can come together and be a part of that. And there's other stuff that'll happen. And you can read about some things in your worship program, some stuff we haven't even dreamed up yet. We couldn't dream it up because God's going to do it. And it's beyond what we could imagine. Here's the deal. We're about six years old. God's done some amazing stuff. I hope you're blessed to know some of the, this is just a glimpse of some of the things that God's done. Hope you're encouraged today. But the best is yet to come. And, and, and God's at work here. And if you want to be a part of it, you're invited. We'd love for you to become a member here. We'd love for you to serve and give your life away here. If you can't join here, then I hope you'll find another gospel preaching church in our city. And there are a lot of them. I mean, just around the corner, you get Summit, you get Providence, Journey Church. You want something more liturgical, Imago Dei Church. There's lots of churches around here that, Lord willing, are filling, fulfilling this vision, I hope. But we love to have you here. And the best days are still coming. Let's pray. Father, we come before you humbled that you would uh, even desire to use us, that you'd want to have a relationship with us, <laughs> and that you'd go to such extremes to make it happen. Father God, I pray that you would do beyond what we could ever ask or imagine, that you would receive all the glory. And on Southbridge, not any individual, not any group, not any ministry, not any program, but that you would receive the glory in the church and in your son Jesus Christ, and you would receive glory from it forever and ever, and we would continue to sing to you that it is true, that you are holy, that you are gracious, and that you have plans that are beyond what we could fathom. I pray if there's any here that need to know your son Jesus Christ, today would be a day of salvation. I pray if there are any that need to get plugged into a church, that today they take steps to do that very thing. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.